Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for this day, this second Sunday of Lent. We thank you, Lord, for your word to us, which encourages us, convicts us, feeds us. Heavenly Father, I ask that my words might be pleasing in your sight and that we might come forward from this place renewed and encouraged to walk our faith to continue this journey with you to the cross. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Please be seated. Do you remember the jingle? Be that all, all you can be in the U.S. Army. You see, I'm not in choir. But you remember the jingle, right? Maybe. It's, a, it's the older one. It was the one in the 90s for the, the Army, I think, before the Army of One became the... I don't even know what it is these days. It's probably changed again. We all have a desire to be better than we are, don't we? We all have a desire to be the most that we can be. And that's why that commercial spoke to people and uh, even young lads like myself, although I, was never, I never did serve that way. Whether you're a Christian or not, that's the case. That's the drive. And as we go here into the second Sunday of Lent, we're continuing here at Lakewood Anglican with a series on Lent. And we're looking at that series from the perspective of the preface for Ash Wednesday. The Ash Wednesday service calls us to a holy Lent. I'll just read it for you since many of you weren't here last week. The season of Lent provided a time in which converts to the faith were prepared for holy baptism. It was also a time when those who, because of notorious sins, had been separated from the body of the faithful, were reconciled by penitence and forgiveness, and restored to the fellowship of the church. In this manner, the whole congregation put in mind the message of pardon and absolution set forth in the gospel of our Savior, and of the need that all Christians continually have to renew our repentance and faith. I invite you, therefore, in the name of the church, to the observance of a holy Lent by self-examination and repentance, by prayer, fasting, and almsgiving, and by reading and meditating on God's holy word. This week, we take the second point, by prayer and fasting. But you might object and say, Isn't prayer always part of a Christian's life? Doesn't that entail our relationship with God? Of course it does. So why do we set aside this particular time of the year to talk about prayer and fasting? Well, the two are actually linked together often in Scripture. If we look cursory, just just a fast overview from the Old Testament, we see that the great patriarchs and prophets engage in prayer and fasting. And they do it for several reasons. Prayer and fasting by Ezra, 
in preparation for his journey back to Jerusalem in Ezra 8. Nehemiah does this action of prayer and fasting specifically and purposefully for lament that Jerusalem has fallen. Daniel prays and fasts in Daniel 9 to seek God and to ask for his mercy. And then we come to the New Testament in Luke, the prophetess Anna, waiting for the Savior, prays and fasts for many years, we're told, and does not depart from the temple until the coming of the Christ. And finally, Jesus prays and fasts continually, and his apostles do so also for commitment, for commitment. Acts 14.20 says, when they had appointed leaders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord whom they beloved. They believed, rather. So prayer and fasting for protection in lament, for mercy in expectation and in commitment. These are disciplines that come to us right from Scripture, right from God's holy word. And of course, Lent, the 40 days that we call these, the season we're in, commemorates Jesus and his prayer and fasting in the wilderness for us, for us. But is fasting just giving things up? You know, so many people seem to get this wrong. You walk around and people say, what are you giving up for Lent? Well, you know, I'm going to quit eating candy. What are you giving up for Lent? Well, I don't know. You know, I'm getting kind of fat. Maybe I'll, I'll give up that snack that I have before I go to, to bed. Is that what fasting's about? I don't think so. I don't think that's what scripture says. I don't think that's why we're supposed to do it. So oftentimes people miss the whole purpose. You know, none other but the Church of England this past Sunday, this past week, um, exhibited the foolishness of confuse, uh, confusion on what fasting is. There was an article in the New, Nor New York Times that talked about a diocese in the Church of England that gave up using plastic for Lent. And I looked at the newspaper and scratched my head. Okay, giving up plastic, I, I guess... You know, it, good for the environment, being good stewards, I get that. But what the heck does that have to do with Lent? <laughs> you see, there's such confusion here. The point is not to induce pain. The point is not to cause inconvenience. The point is not even to give up something that you ought to be, not to be doing in the first place, right? That's called repentance. We, went, we did that last week. But the point of fasting is to clear things out of our way, to hear the voice of Jesus Christ. In Romans 7, St. Paul, writing to the Roman church, says, For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. And you know, this isn't just a Christian thing. Plato, the great philosopher, prior to Jesus, outside of the Jewish tradition, writes in his book, The Republic, about the human soul, 
And he says that talking about people he meets, but the simple and moderate desires, pleasures and pains, those led by calculation, accompanied by intelligence, you will come upon in few. You will come upon in few. What's he saying? Most people can't control themselves. Most people are driven by their passions. And the answer is not denial. The answer is fasting. Because the answer is Jesus. If you look at those examples, it's all about seeking the heart of God. St. Chrysostom, that great church father, says this, fasting is wonderful because it tramples our sin like a dirty weed while it cultivates and raises truth like a flower. Isn't that beautiful imagery? Fasting tramples our sin like a dirty weed and cultivates and raises truth like a flower. So I've got a trivia question for you. Outside of our Lord himself, who is the best faster in the Bible? Who did it the best? Yeah. Daniel. All right, Daniel's a good one, certainly. Anybody else? John the Baptist. Yes, certainly a model for fasting and prayer. Anybody else? I put it to you that the first reading we read today is an example of fasting and prayer. The reading about the great patriarch Abraham. Why? Not because the Bible says that he fasted, because it doesn't, although I'm sure he did. But the Bible tells us that Abraham here is being refined And Abraham here is being asked to give up the thing that he loves the most for God. You know, lots of theologians get this passage all wrong, in my not-so-humble opinion. They talk about this as a passage that deals with obedience primarily. I don't think that's right. I think that the passage talking about Abraham being asked to offer his son is not so much about obedience as it is about trust in a good, loving, and living God. Do you buy that? Open up with me. Genesis chapter 22, if you've got your Bibles, or read along in the bulletin. It's printed there. But in Genesis chapter 22, verse 2 and 3, we read this. And he, that is God, said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I shall tell you. Continue with verse 7. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, My father, and he said, Here am I, my son. He said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And the next verse, I think, is the key verse of this this chapter. Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering 
my son. Do you see what God is asking Abraham to do? It's no small feat. Was Isaac an easy child to conceive? Was Isaac a child that just came about? No, we in fact get the story of Sarah and Abraham pining, longing after a son back earlier in Genesis. And God makes the promise to Abraham in Genesis 11 that he will make of him a great nation. God promised descendants to be like the stars. In Genesis 18, 14, the angel asks, is anything too hard for the Lord? You shall have a son, Isaac. Isaac was a miracle baby born to old infertile parents by God's grace. And here God is asking Abraham to give Isaac up. Is this just about obedience? Is this just about self-denial? Oh no, this is about the heart of fasting. This is about trust and love in God. Look with me at verse five, continuing in Genesis 22. And Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. You know, it's so easy to read over that line. But what's going on there in verse 5? Abraham is convinced that he and Isaac are going to return back from the mountain down to the servants. Why are they convinced because of God's promise. Abraham believed that God could be taken by, at his word. He believed that when the angel told him that Isaac would be the father of many, that God would fulfill that promise. Abraham believed that exchanging his deepest desire, his son, his only son, by Sarah, for God's love was worth it. Abraham knew that he was insufficient, but God would provide. Now we look at the New Testament. We look to Jesus' words here on the second Sunday of Lent. Look at the gospel with me. Mark chapter 8, verses 34 and 35. Mark chapter 8, verses 34 and 35. And calling the crowd to him with the disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. You see, Jesus calls us to fast too, to deny and subdue ourselves. Part of that denying oneself and taking up the cross, but it's not just to deny, it's to do it in exchange for him. Look at the threefold part of that passage. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and part three, follow me. To deny ourselves and take up our cross is to follow him. Is to follow him. 
As Christians, we're called continually to do these things inspired by the Holy Spirit. And like Abraham, we believe that God can be taken at his word. We're called to believe and hopefully believe that exchanging our deepest desires for relationship with God is worth it. And we admit, along with Abraham, that we're insufficient, but God will provide. But as Christians, we're called to do this as part of the church. We're called to do this with one another as part of God's covenant family. We're not called to believe in those things alone. Abraham could not, and we cannot. It is all over the collect on this second Sunday for Lent. Did you catch it? As we prayed the collect of the day at the beginning of the service, we have no power in ourselves to help ourselves. Do you see the cry? No power in ourselves to help ourselves. No ability to be the best that we can be. Even in the act of fasting and prayer, we depend entirely on God's grace. But fasting and prayer are not works. They're vehicles. They're things that clear things out of the way so that we can follow Jesus. Our schedules, our priorities, our desires, the heart of things that would block us, those things deep down inside of us that we know when we confess at the end of the day our sins to the Almighty God stand in the way. We deny ourselves in the Holy Spirit so that our fallen nature can be subdued and made stronger in Him and that we can carry our cross and follow Jesus. You know, our cross might seem overwhelming at times, but in matter of fact, it's small. In Mark 8.31, Jesus told the apostles that he must be rejected, killed, and rise again. This is God's ultimate provision. This is God's ultimate taking care of his people. God provides Jesus as the sacrifice on the cross, just as he provided for Abraham and Isaac in the Old Testament. And he calls us to deny ourselves so that we can follow right along with him, not carrying the weight of the cross of our sins. That's not the point. As we confess in the right one confession, that burden would be intolerable. The weight of our own sins would crush us. And in fact, if we try to live better lives only in our own power, it will crush us. But rather, we carry the weight of our own cross, not Christ's. Our cross of conflicting desires, our cross of struggles in this world, our cross of a war that goes inside of us because of our bent nature. We carry that cross in uncertainty, at times with infatuation with the world and with the lie that the here and now is it, and that somehow I should only indulge myself in the here and now. His cross, that is Jesus's, is the sacrifice for our sins. Our cross, our little cross, is the, fat, is the fast, the fast. So fasting is all about grace. It's a tool that the church uses, just like the sacraments. They're to be aids to our faith, not works. 
Our fasting is the help that the scripture gives us for our sanctification, for our being made holy. The call of the ancient church in Lent to fasting and prayer is to give us a practical way to remind us of God's grace that's all around us every day, all the time. To perk up our ears, to make us look up and see it. In a 2005 interview, the late Billy Graham said, if it weren't for God's grace, you and I wouldn't be able to live for even one more minute. God's grace sustains us every moment of our lives, and without his grace, we couldn't even exist. We think that we have control of our lives, but if it weren't for God's grace, we wouldn't even be alive. Fasting and prayer helps us to see this in a particular way. We might give up food, that's okay, so long as the intention is right, because the hunger should drive us to depend on God and remind us that first and foremost, we depend on him for our sustenance. Every time we hunger, we should thank God when we fast and thank him that he's provided a way for us to subdue that appetite. You know, in 1 Corinthians 7, 5, St. Paul talks about married couples abstaining from sex for seasons. Why is that? Because it's to show another type of fasting, to show that we're more than the culmination of our sexual impulses. Our society really struggles with that today, don't we? We're bombarded from all areas. So abstinence can be part of fasting. Again, so long as it's done to see God and grow closer to Jesus. We might abstain from something else of our choice, not because that thing is bad, but because we rely too much on it. Maybe it's social media. Maybe it's a certain app. What is it that is your go-to when you're anxious? If you want to really fast, cut that out. And maybe instead say the Jesus prayer, Lord, have mercy upon me, a sinner, or the Lord's prayer. See how that changes your soul. See how that trains your mind. Many people used to fast before Holy Communion on Sunday as a physical way to remind them that first and foremost, God's sustenance is provided to us. So they would not eat breakfast until they took communion and then would go home and have the big brunch. That's really gone away. And sometimes it's impractical with later services. But that was a fast too, to help us see and put God first. In Lent, whatever you choose, whatever the Holy Spirit leads you to, I encourage you to do some sort of fast with the intention of trampling your sin. It's only the second Sunday of Lent. We still have plenty of time. Don't worry, just because you missed Ash Wednesday doesn't mean you've missed the opportunity. Fasting and prayer is a backdoor attack on how our sinful desires affect us. It's a chastening, a disciplining of our flesh, our sinful nature. And it's a reminder of our identity, first and foremost, in Jesus Christ. Let us follow the example, friends, of the patriarchs 
the prophets, the prophetess, the apostles. Fast for protection, fast and pray for, in lament for what's going on in our world, mourning our own sins, for mercy, in expectation, and above all, in commitment to Jesus Christ. See how you will be undone and reworked by the Holy Spirit if you try it out. C.S. Lewis writes in Mere Christianity, the more we let God take us over, the more truly ourselves we become. Because he made us, he invented us, he invented all the different people that you and I were intended to be. It is when I turn to Christ, when I give myself to his personality, that I first begin to have a real personality of my own. And most importantly, remember that even when we fail in our fasting and prayer, even when we fail to carry the cross, our little cross in general, our identity is secure because it's not based upon what we do, but it's based upon God's provided sacrifice on the Mount of Calvary. We do not carry the big cross of his sacrifice, but our small cross. He carried the cross for us. He paid the price. Be all that you were created to be. Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow Jesus, forever living in his grace. Amen.